Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on The Interview, we have the honor to talk with Lance Ford and Rob Wegner and their new book, The Starfish and the Spirit. Lance is an author, church planner, coach, and consultant, and he has a passion to resource and equip churches and leaders as they develop lifestyles of living on mission. Rob is an author, pastor, and is one of the founders of the Kansas City Underground. Check out their new book at thestarfishandthespirit.com. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us at the interview. A spider and starfish look similar. They both have central bodies with legs that sprout readily from the center, but there are big differences between these two organisms. If you cut the head off of a spider, you kill the entire organism. Cut the head off a spider and the body dies. In other words, centralized top-down leadership looks strong, but it's actually very fragile. COVID-19 brought that revelation home almost overnight for thousands of church leaders. Practically overnight, it became crystal clear when the churches organized around weekend services, programs, and a singular pastor, it's fragile and can be easily disrupted. Starfish don't have that problem. You cut a starfish in half and fling each half to opposite ends of the world, what happens? You get two starfish. The starfish has in each of its cells all that it needs to regenerate a whole new starfish. The church was conceived initially to grow as a decentralized bottom-up starfish movement, a movement of reproducing disciples, leaders, microchurches, and networks. All over the world, in places like Africa, China, and India, the church in her starfish form is thriving despite persecution and pandemics. Here in the West, COVID-19 has almost forced us to begin to imagine the church again as a decentralized network. Why not here? Why not us? Well, welcome. This is Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee. And with me today is Brenna Varner in Albany, Oregon. How you doing, Brenna? I'm doing fantastic. Yes. Uh, so Brenna and I had a long conversation yesterday about you never ask somebody in the Pacific Northwest about the weather because it's always, what'd you say, 50 and raining no matter what? It's 50 and gray, maybe some rain. Uh, <laughs> it's a strange thing with being with uh, Forge people is, you know, we're all around the nation and everyone's always asking about the weather. And when people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. It's the same every day. We don't look at the weather forecast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're not going to ask you about the weather anymore. Uh, that's good to know. But with us today, we're honored to have Lance Ford and in Youngstown, Florida, and Rob Wagner in Kansas City. How are you guys doing? Glad to be here. Doing good. Doing good. <laughs> that's awesome. Rob Rob actually gave the two thumbs up. You can't can't actually see that on this, but that's 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 where it is. You have two thumbs up, man. I'm glad you guys are doing well. And today we get the chance to talk about your guys' book, The Starfish and the Spirit. And I guess for me, one of the things we loved about this book is how it kind of lines up with some of the stuff we've been exploring in this podcast for this season. Uh, but what I'd love to know from you guys first is, so where did this book come from? How did you guys kind of get the idea? What was the impetus behind this book for you? It really has been. Uh, I think when the, when the Eagles recorded the album, uh, The Long Run, it took them so long to do it. They the, the band called it The Long One. And I think that's about the way it was with this book. It, it uh it, it, you know, to be honest with you, it, it, it really goes back. Actually, Alan Hirsch and I met Ori Brothman, who wrote The Starfish and the Spider, which is the New York Times bestselling book, back in the 
around, I think, 2006, 2007 it came out. And uh, we had met Corey at a Neil Cole, one of Neil Cole's conferences and got to know him and then developed a relationship, a friendship. And one of the things that I had noticed over the years was that almost every pastor, you'd walk into their office and the starfish and the spider would be on their, their bookshelf. And a lot of leaders talked, a lot of, you know, faith-based leaders talked about it and, and, and loved it, but they didn't know what to do with it because this whole idea of a flattened, decentralized form of leadership just seems impossible because most people have never experienced it. But but it always stuck in me, I know, and Rob was a huge fan of that book. And, and so kind of decentralized, plural, flattened forms of leadership has been something that I've been on about for a long time. I mean, I wrote Unleader almost 10 years ago that dealt with a lot of that same kind of thing. But uh, so I... I it's been probably six years ago now that I called Ori one day and just started talking to him about, you know, kind of my burden for a, a book for the church that would be a starfishy book. And so we actually decided to write it together. In the very beginning, we were going to write it together. And he was actually going to be one of the authors on the book. And But after a while, he just kind of, actually, to be honest, it just seemed like it wasn't going to fit his wheelhouse as far as all the business world and all that type of thing. I felt, actually, we had started working on the book. We were about a year and a half into to We had a contract on the book. I felt like Rob was supposed to be part of the book, and, 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 and Ori had never even met Rob. So I called Rob, and I didn't even get the, hey, would you like to? I didn't even get that far in the sentence, and Rob goes, yes. <laughs> so uh, I think he wanted to do it just so he could hang out with Ori. <laughs> so um, he called, he totally fanboyed for a little bit, but, 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 but the thing is, is really then Ori became a big Rob Wagner fan real quick. It's not, you know, very quick. He saw how sharp Rob was. And so anyway, the book immediately took on a different energy and a different direction because Rob started bringing in some other concepts. I was really focusing just on kind of the leadership systems and structure of, of a starfish multiplicative type of movement thing. But then Rob brings in the whole micro church, movemental, other pieces to it. And then between the two of us, uh, as we started settling on some of Alan's, Alan Hirsch's stuff and, you know, the MDNA, uh, missional MDNA type of stuff, it was just like all this stuff started fitting. So anyway, after a while, I'll try to speed this up. After a while, Ori just felt like he was not supposed to be an author in it. But he really acted as a consultant for us. He even named the book. He even came up with the name of the book. We were going to name it The Starfish in the Church, which is the name of our podcast, by the way. <laughs> but a uh, little shameless plug. But he said, hey, if you name it The Starfish in the Spirit, it kind of sings with The Starfish and the Spider. And then it also opens up to other faith-based organizations and so on and so forth. And so that's what we did. And then Ori wrote the forward for the book, and he really did help us for the whole time that we're trying to write it. But then after a while, Rob's mom had a dream and said, hey, and, and this is not like her. She's not like some TBN watching charismatic lady, but she calls Rob up one morning and says, hey, I had a dream. And Alan Hirsch is supposed to be part of that book, which was just blew Rob's mind because once again, she's that's not her M.O. And so, you know, we contacted Alan and and said, hey, you know, we feel like a lot of this revolves around some of your deal. It's kind of a mashup of the forgotten ways and the starfish 
and the spider is really kind of what it is. So Alan then jumped in and, you know, if anybody that's read the book knows that Alan pops in very frequently with comments and commentary. So that's, you ask a simple question. Sorry, Alan, but that's the, that's the, that's the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> we also went through like personally two or three different crises that kind of threw the whole timeline off. And then this little thing called the COVID pandemic hit. So it, there was a sense of serendipity that the Lord, it was uh, a timing issue. Like the, that when this book came out, there was such a felt need. There had been such an apocalyptic unveiling of the fragility of the prevailing model of church that there, it was received in a way different way than I think it would have been if it came out two or three years earlier. It would have been received as like, oh, that's novel. That's really. And then it, when it came out, I was like, oh, maybe this is necessary. Yeah, Rob, that's that was my question for you guys was, you know, you guys started this pre-pandemic. So obviously there was a impetus behind this book. You know, you saw a need out there. And, and Lance, I know you've been kind of harping on this for a long time, but could you kind of define the need that you were trying to address as far as the hierarchical versus, you know, the starfish kind of concept, what you guys were really trying to address when you wrote this book? Yeah, well, and I'll tell you, that's a good question, Alan, because it, it this, it's, I, I can almost sum it up this way. Anybody that's listened to the Mars Hill podcast, the CT, you know, which just about everybody's listened to it. That's why, that's why this book. You know, and so yeah. it's like even as that podcast goes on, which I mean, their production and all that's been phenomenal, but they're still not getting to it. They're still not getting to the why. And and it's it's, you know, and so typically here's what happens is we've over the last few years, we've seen a lot of a lot of big name leaders go down. And I mean, when you see Bill Hybels, who was the king of the church growth movement, go down and the king of you know, attractional church go down, you know, that we got something that, to deal with. And so, you know, Driscoll, Rabbi Zacharias, James, I mean, we just name names every six months or somebody else. I mean, there's somebody on deck right now that six months from now, they'll be in the news. But then what comes is then everybody gets on podcasts or radio shows, or there'll be articles written and go, Oh, this is a problem. It keeps being a problem. We need more accountability. And so everybody talks about accountability, but what they're talking about is, okay, you need to get more high-powered people that hold this guy's feet to the fire. And no one's looking and going, no, maybe we should consider we shouldn't make kings in the first place, like the Lord said he didn't want. Maybe we should consider that there's one senior pastor in the Bible, and his name is Jesus, that that job is already taken. Maybe we ought to consider that. But we all we do is we just double down on more and better leadership. And rather than looking at the system itself and saying, maybe we're wrong with the system itself, even with fivefold, even when we talk about the APES, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, and Teacher, that stuff will not yield to missional movement if we have hierarchical leadership in it. And that's that's a seedbed for hierarchical leadership in lots of times. And so if we don't move to a decentralized leadership where the where the people become the priests and we lay down our hierarchical ways and really trust the Holy Spirit, we're just going to be keep, keep keep getting more of the same. So that's really the reason that I've been on about this. But the thing is, we can't just talk about it. We have to have actual systems. We have to have structures and procedures and policies that are functional and make this work. And that's what we've attempted to do in this book is really provide that. In the book, um, you're talking about catalysts um, and and comparing them potentially to 
that hierarchical executive type leader. Can you talk to us about kind of the difference in uh, how a leader functions from a hierarchical executive to maybe a more decentralized uh, starfish organization? Again, in the kind of the old wineskin, uh, the the lead pastor or whatever the title is, is expected to be kind of the resident expert, smartest person in the room, CEO, social commentary, incredible vision caster, great communicator, chaplain. I mean, it just keeps going, going, social media influencer. <laughs> you know, it's like we've just adopted kind of a Babylonian system and framework, and we're trying to Christianize it. And what we're asking fundamentally to be a catalyst is to be Ephesians 4, to be an equipper. You know, so we're basically taking that pyramid and we flip it. And there's equippers that are underneath all the people of God there to help help activate them by them embracing their true identity in Christ to then practically equip them provide ongoing coaching. And the catalyst isn't, I have received a vision and now we will create a program. And then you will join me as a volunteer within the program. And then we will multiply programs until we fill everything every way with the fullness of programs. It's like, I did that. I've been there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but you look at the vision of Ephesians 1. Our job is to join Jesus as he's filling everything every way. You can't program that. It's it's human arrogance to think that we could strategize. So it's actually going back to Pentecost and saying, no, how do I help everyone see the dream and the vision the Holy Spirit is giving to them? How to trust the Holy Spirit that uh, these everyone's being deployed where they're sent as a missionary, where their corner of culture, their sphere of society. And, and so my job is to help them come awake to that masterpiece mission. That's Ephesians 2. And the catalyst is like, that's what you're catalyzing. Wake up to what Jesus is already doing in your life. And we want to help you discover that calling and then equipping them. So it's it's not managing them as volunteers. We're domesticating God's people. It's like, I'm, I'm helping you come awake to the Spirit's vision in your life. And then I'm going to equip you. And then we're going to coach you. And this is not about institutional goals. This is about gospel saturation, first in your soul, but then where he sent you. And it's about collaboration and co-ownership and co-creation. Like, let's get rid of the consumption, the professionalism. And that's the heart. That's the heart of what it means to be a catalyst. In the last year, as we've uh, been facilitating a new network of of missional people here in Albany, um, I was I knew it was going to be true, but I was shocked as we pulled people together and said, dream big dreams, that that was a muscle that people hadn't been asked to use. And so, you know, it was crickets for a long time. And there's a a lot of work in recommissioning the priesthood of all believers that, that, that people think that they're, they don't have what it takes to do ministry. And it's, that's, there's a baseline work there that has to be done uh, just in, in, people owning their own calling and their own presence and their own um, mission. What type of barriers um, have you guys found along the way as, as you're talking with people and helping them reimagine what type of barriers do you see folks come up against? 
Rob and, and Brian Phipps wrote a really good book called Find Your Place that really deals, Brenna, with what you're talking about there. In fact, we mentioned it quite extensively in the book. But I think what you're saying, I think that one of the reasons even, and I mean, I don't want to go off on a rabbit trail here, and I'll just leave it at this, but I do believe that a lot of even depression that we have in our culture and society is because people haven't found their place. They haven't found their identity. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about the hope of your calling. And there really is a hope when you find your voice and that that calling. So I think that this issue is not a small deal. It is gigantic. It's enormous. And as Rob was talking about, it, it, it changes the role of a leader to be in that catalyst, to be that coach rather than a boss. It's a joyful thing because, you know, now really you're waking up in the morning not to try to build some empire, but you're waking up trying to build someone. And it, it, it's, it's just a complete game changer because it's a role changer for everybody on the team. No matter what your previous rank or title was or whatever, now it really becomes about people. Like practically in the Kansas City Underground, you know, we have a team that's called Personal Discovery. It's helping ordinary people get clarity on their calling. Part of it, you're talking about barriers. So one of them is they have to have a new narrative. And so for us, one of the things we come back to over and over again is just the blueprint in Ephesians. Like Ephesians 1, this vision of gospel saturation. Ephesians 2, God's spirit activating all of God's people into a masterpiece mission. Ephesians 3, we need to be filled with the fullness as we are on mission. And so we literally sit down with every missionary and that's where we start. It's like, that's, that's our story. So you have a masterpiece mission. And then we invite them to go through a, both a set of a survey of questions that looks at kind of their personal narrative, um, their most important relationships, kind of their spiritual and emotional journey through different seasons of their life. And then we do assessments on, we have one we've created called Gifts, Passion, Story. Then we do Strength Finders, we do Enneagram, we do DISC, and then we meet with them and give them like a one page snapshot. We call it, here's your calling zone. And we help them identify these kind of primary themes in their life, the ways they've been gifted, the people they're passionate about, the causes they're passionate about, their influencing style. And then what we do is we put together a personalized coaching plan for them based off of their masterpiece mission. We also help them discover who else you're going to need on your team because Jesus never sends anybody alone. And then we offer to meet with them like spiritual directors where we're periodically we'll meet with you to kind of debrief your coaching plan. And then we have a startup coaching team. So after personal discovery, they go to startup coaching and we take them through a seven week startup huddle experience through what we call the missionary pathway. And we find when people do personal discovery in the missionary pathway, at the end of that process, it's like, they're starting to sound their barbaric yop, you know, <laughs> I just watched dead poets again this <laughs> nice. week. So, you know, they're like starting to stand up on the desk and like, yes. <laughs> I mean, when you yeah. begin to go to that zone with people, you're activating like where, I mean, they just, it's like the, this deepest fundamental kind of primal fire that most people have never had anyone stoke or give permission to. So like, once you unleash it, it's amazing. So one of the things that's interesting about that is the muscle memory of the old way of doing church, right? The, the, the muscle memory there, it's, it, I call it like a rut in your brain and you're just going to fall back into it, especially where I'm at here in the South. Um, you know, just traditional kind of steeple 
churches and the idea that when you come to mission, oh, mission is something that the, the organized expression of the church does, you know, so the, the pastor has an idea. I was working with a, a buddy yesterday um, on his, you know, the church's vision and kind of mission and what they're working on and the idea of how they're going to do mission. And, you know, the big glaring thing was like, how are you going to do mission when it comes to activating the people? So here's my question to you guys. When you look at, you know, Casey Underground, you guys have birthed this thing. You know, it's easy to to birth and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to, the postures. When you're looking around the country, have you seen churches that have had that kind of traditional old muscle memory make the shift uh, towards, hey, we're going we're gonna to actually activate our people and here's the ways we're going to do it. Have you guys seen that? Well, a lot of people don't know, and we try to be really open about our story. Like the Kansas City Underground came out of a church that made that kind of transition. And it basically birthed a new baby in a completely new wineskin. But it started by helping people who've been believers their whole life realize they can become disciple makers and missionaries. Brian Phipps is a good friend of ours. He now leads a, a ministry called Disciples Made that helps prevailing model churches make this kind of transition. He had created, for example, this six-month experience. It's Westside Family Church here in Kansas City that helps believers realize, no, you can actually be a disciple who makes disciples. And we do it not in a program. You actually practice all the rhythms of being a disciple. And, and then it's built with peer-based leadership. So everybody's actually co-leading through the whole six months. So at the end, you realize, not only am I actually a disciple now, I actually learned how to make disciples without even really knowing it, you know? And then when I joined the team, I created this thing called Missionaries Made, which is like, how do I live missionary rhythms to help me go deep incarnationally? How do I practice gospel fluency in my own soul? So then when I'm sharing with others, it's not a presentation or something. It's my worldview and it's my language and helping people find like missional focus. Where are you sent to? And we just were running these kind of like yeast in the dough underneath the surface. And eventually we needed to create this thing called microchurch learning community because people are like, I've got like all these people that are really, they're like starting to follow Jesus with me in my neighborhood. Like, what do I, what do I do? <laughs> and they were like, and I know I can't send them to our building. It won't work. And it was like, you're right. You don't have to, we're going to show you how to be the church there. And so this little network of micro churches started emerging, but it took like years for that to happen, actually six or seven years. And even six or seven years in, it, took, it was about, in this church of 5,000, about 1,500 people who'd been through one of those experiences, but we'd never announced it on the weekends. We didn't do a weekend series about it. It wasn't a program you could sign up for. It was all by invitation only. But I want to be honest about the story. There was also some shift in the culture and the leadership there. And it was very like loving and friendly, but it was just things changed because of a change in leadership. Um, and then it became clear like, it's probably going to be best for us to kind of launch us out as a new expression. And that is the sad thing that I've seen happen over and over again. Just full transparency. It's like things begin to get momentum. This new form starts emerging. And then you hit this crossroads. And it's like, we're either going to have to restructure this whole thing or we have to release this thing. And I, I have not really seen much success in the restructure of the whole thing. Yeah, so we had the opportunity to talk with Luke Edwards, who is with Fresh Expressions in North Carolina. And one of the things that I was really intrigued by that was was that same idea, was Fresh Expressions was born out of the Methodist Church, and if I remember right, it was over in England. And it was that idea of like, hey, we have this traditional structured prevailing model church, 
but we have these new things, these missional expressions that we want to start and launch. Um, and they said it's not an either or, it's this ecosystem. And, and kind of how do you honor both of these? How do you honor the prevailing model and these new expressions? Especially now since we're in a time where things are shifting, but we have both of them. You know, we have this and we have that over there. And so I guess one of the questions I would have for you guys is, if you have a pastor out there who's in what you call you know, a prevailing model church, who, who they just get fired up about this. They're like, oh man, I want to do this. But they, they're they in an organization, they're in a system that is like, mm, I don't I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like they, they may have, you know, a little bit of it, but you know, or you got some people who get, you know, excited about it, but they don't, they can't find it inside of that model. They can't find it. But the, the pastor, the, the leadership there, maybe they're getting excited about it. What, what would be the tools or the, or the words that you would say to those people as they want to make that shift? I want to jump in on that because I've been dealing with a, a pretty large church, mainline church, working towards this. They've actually got a team that has a ton of momentum. It's been working on really developing a, a micro church expression. The lead pastor has been like thumbs up all in, all fours, has even gone through some of the training himself. But just, I was in a meeting not too long ago with them and with with their key leaders and this pastor. And at some point in this meeting, after a few things have been put up on the whiteboard about future plans, yeah, he just kind of leaned back in his chair and said, man, I trust you guys. Man, this it's all great, man. I, t- I, I totally trust you guys. He's, and then he dropped in like, this last little two percenter, and it was this. But of course, I mean, I maintain veto power, and then he just kept talking. So uh, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that ain't gonna work." <laughs> you know, it's just like I'm just throwing this little grenade. It's just, it's really just tight. It's not that big. I can carry it in my pocket. Boom. You know, um, but I maintain. So so some of these leaders cannot let go of power and they just can't bring themselves to it or their systems. And like even that pastor, it's very likely it wasn't even so much him speaking for himself. He's probably speaking for the board. He's probably speaking for an executive team. He knows no, they're not going to trust this other team of competent adults to be competent adults with the Holy Spirit in them. They still got to hold on to that kingly power. And so I would say for us to really see this thing unzip and rip and really go, leaders are going to absolutely have to determine to let Jesus be Lord 100%, not 99.99%, because that last little percent, that's the yeast of the Pharisees. And that's the stuff that Jesus said to watch out for, because it will... It'll, it'll ruin a movement every time. So, I mean, Rob and I are good cop, bad cop. It's not hard to figure out who the bad <laughs> cop is here. So uh, Rob tells all the good stuff. And I'm always like, waving the flags, right? But uh, so, I mean, there's, you know, there's been many great examples that we could sit here for the next two hours and point to some incredible churches where they really are going for it. But it usually is just like, like Alan, like you said, like uh, fresh expressions, there's usually a parallel track that's launched out of the mothership, but they have to let it go. They have to not control it and and trust the Holy Spirit and those leaders that they're competent to 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 listen to the Lord and to guide it and to create a leadership team that will take it 
where the Lord's wanting it to go. We were talking about existing uh, pastors in congregations that have, you know, a set structure and, and what steps they could be taking or looking at. Um, but if you are somebody who is pioneering something new and you're you're trying to create something that is uh, a starfish that is decentralized from scratch, what signposts or or potholes do you see for folks that are are starting out brand new that, that, that they could avoid that they could help not drive it back into the ditch of hierarchical structures i would recommend a couple things one is don't build any kind of structure or system until you need it we we, we sort of idolize structure and systems because it gives us a sense of power and control and security <laughs> And I'm an architect. I love designing things. But right now we're working with a lot of folks just like that, you know, here in Kansas City and actually in other cities. And we just say, first of all, just we have this thing called the missionary pathway. So if you're going to do this, you have to have some kind of training framework. And first, the missionary pathway is five phases that missionaries go through in a missionary endeavor in a new context among unreached pockets of people. So I'd say have some kind of training framework and coaching pathway, but then just let things organically emerge. And we tell people um, until you see three to five microchurches emerge, basically just keep your head down and do the work and be a great neighbor and be a great disciple of Jesus and be present. And, and then once you get to that point, you can start thinking about, okay, how do we maybe organize some equipping teams to help accelerate this starfish movement. Um, but any starfish movement, like job one is clarity on what your fractal is. So like in the Kansas City Underground, we have a, like a language to, that's like our gospel fractal that we want every missionary to live into and to know and embrace. You know, we have a simple fractal on like our training systems and structures where like you could ask any missionary in the underground and I'm I guarantee they're going to be able to tell you the five phases of the missionary pathway because we repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, you know? So we have like four or five kind of pieces to our core fractal and it all has to, and our, our goal is like, can a 12 year old get this? It's got to be really simple and reproducible. And that actually comes as you're doing the work of mission on the way to three to five kind of like micro churches you know so there's this temptation to kind of sit down and try to organize everything ahead of time and i think just like plunge yourself into the work like jesus and nazareth just fall into it um while you're reading and studying but if you want it to become a movement you got to have a clear fractal and then you have and then it's an ideology fractal and then also kind of a systems and structures fractal you know so like with the underground we've got a a simple structure fractal it's the same one it just keeps repeating out further and further it's like you start with a missionary two missionaries maybe three or four missionaries they make new disciples what happens is a micro church emerges when three or four or five micro churches emerge we organize them into what we call a collective a network when that emerges we begin to build a handful of equipping teams to support it that's called a hub and then hubs begin to multiply and collectives are, it's like the same fractal that's being repeated over and over and over again. That's that's what increases the possibility of a movement actually happening. If it's complex, it won't reproduce. To, to add on to that is I think it's, it's vital that you go in determined 
that you are going to build an APES team from the outset and that you give yourself to that and that you're unrelenting on that. And so the best thing is, is to, you know, seek. And, and man, I remember uh, Michael Frost messages from, gosh, probably 18 years ago. The next question after where will I go is who will go with me? It's, it's not, it, it should not be a lonely endeavor. And so if you can start out being able to identify, like let's say at least three of those giftings, you know, out of the APEST, at least three, man, if you could hit four or five, it's awesome. And start out that way in your foundation. Because once again, we've seen the, the danger and the almost, it's pretty much the default of almost every church. It becomes personality driven by a chief personality. So if you can go in deflecting that from the very outset, you know, and really laying the foundation, saying, no, we really are going to be an APES team and we really are going to lead this way. And we're going to do the fractal ideology. As Rob said, we're going to raise people up and help them discover their APES giftings. Then it just becomes, I mean, that becomes the foundation. That's the concrete everything's built on because it's almost impossible to re-engineer that and go back and re-engineer that. I mean, when Jesus said you can't, he didn't say it's difficult to put new wine into an old wine skin. It's really hard to do that. Uh, you're going to have a difficult task putting new wine. He said you cannot do it. We think we can do it. You know, we just keep trying to do it. So it's really better to start off on the outset, letting it be, you know, what you're hoping it'll become or it won't. it's not going to become that. All right. So if anybody wants to dig a little bit deeper into this, if they want to know a little bit more, what do you guys have working right now? What do you guys have cooking as far as kind of like exploring this conversation a little bit more? A lot of people don't know that uh, Lance and I are actually an incredible musical duo. So we're kind of like <laughs> Paul and Oates. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Here's the deal. Simon. Here's the deal. Let me tell you this. Let me tell Garfunkel and Simon. See, you invert those names. It's never Garfunkel and Simon. It is Simon and Garfunkel. So, see, here's the deal. I know Rob so well. When you ask that question, Alan, I'm watching Rob's face, and I know there is some bad trash about to come out. I can just see the smirk on his face. He's like, he's not going to shoot straight. But You can help us fund the album at uh, Spirit and the Starfish Song. It's a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> Two old middle-aged white guys making some, some yeah. fresh tunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know what the genre is. What's what's the genre going to be there? It's going to be like 70s soft Classics rock? rock. Classic rock. <laughs> Not this headbanger stuff that Rob grew, grew up on. Okay, Rob, give a straight answer. Tell no. tell, tell the folks what we got. Yeah, going. actually, we're next year we're going to be launching what's uh, called the Starfish and the Spirit Movement Accelerator. It's a partnership with 100 Movements, and it's a six-month journey uh, where we'll help you take the seven starfish, because the book is actually a set of seven starfish, help you activate those and enculturate those into your organization or your movement. We're doing that with uh, Alan is also going to be involved, and Rich Robinson. We're super excited about it. It's being designed so that when you go through it, then you'll very easily be able to reproduce it in your context as well. So it's not like a one-stop shop. It's built with that kind of scale, scalability in mind. So yeah, okay, cool. So if people want to get uh, know about that, get onto it. Is it just go to the website? Do yes, go to our website and sign up for the newsletter. So if you go all the way down to the bottom, um, then you'll 
be notified when that goes live. Hey, Rob, uh, I just wanted to let you know I had a dream, and I think that Alan Hirsch should be the interpretive dancer <laughs> for your band, uh, that he won't necessarily like have an instrument other than his yes. body. Yes. Uh, to, wow. mm-hmm, well, to we, what we will do, I bear witness to that, Brenna, we will get him to wear his uh, Burning Man outfit uh when he does that interpretive bit, dance uh, yes but with thing. a scarf as well they'll be oh a, he'll, they'll have be the, the he'll have yes. a scarf yes <laughs> that's a part of the dance yes we love you so much Alan. we had a call of him <laughs> yesterday and he was wearing an adult snuggie during the meeting i'm not kidding it was it was an adult was, snuggie. we're like what are you wearing oh you you don't have those over there oh this is great i mean it was purple too was purple. He, he looked like he looked like prince in a in a Snuggy. <laughs> He's ready. He's ready for the interpretive dance, friends. Yeah, you, you say that, Brenda, like he wouldn't do it. He would, he would totally do it do in a heartbeat. Oh, heck yeah, he would do it. He would do it. Yeah. I mean, their whole their whole church in L.A. was, what they is it for worship, they'd have drum circles. You know, so you got you to gotta picture yeah. this. He would do it. Yeah, this is awesome. See, you got to let go of the outcomes. We can't control yeah. how the expression of the spirit. Very so prophetic. Alan's gonna Very prophetic, to, Brenna. He's going to have to interpretive dance in his purple Snuggie. Right. I've, yes. I've heard a word from the Lord. So now that image is in my brain right now. And if anybody has some Photoshop skills, I'm going to need that like here pretty soon. So Alan Hirsch, interpretive dance with a Snuggie and a scarf. Um, yeah, this is beautiful. All right. Well, Lance, Rob, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, really looking forward to uh, the Accelerator, what's going to be happening with that. And just really appreciate your time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com. Starfish and the Snuggie. Yes. Now I've got the picture of a starfish in a snuggie. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Can that be Put the it second in the book? Show notes. Yeah, no, the second book needs to be Starfish in a Snuggie. Yeah. And it's we just need a... Snuggies with our logo on it. <laughs> uh, that's no, that's the name of the band. Oh, yeah. Starfish in the yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> that is. That's better than Hootie and the Blowfish. It's yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Then, then you're gonna have to stay the the starfish and the snuggies, right? Yeah, like, so it's it. like the whole the whole, the whole crew. Band. Yeah, this is beautiful. That's, that's man. the doo-wop band. Sorry, yeah. that's, a, that's a whole other. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Good guys, I really appreciate the time, man. This has been really good.